Welcome to the Guide Sessions, a podcast where we talk about stories of adventure as told by the guides who experience them. I'm your host, Jim Aiken. Welcome to the show. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Jim Aiken. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your support. If you like what you hear, feel free to rate and subscribe. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about tags and applications. Most dates' applications uh, have already kind of opened and closed. There's some that are still open. Uh, however, if you happen to not draw a tag, there's still options out there. Okay, You can contact me at the Guide Sessions Consultant. You can come through the website, theguidesessions.com, or you can look me right up on Instagram at the Guide Sessions. Uh, shoot me a message. Be like, hey, I'm looking to do a hunt somewhere, and I'll help you figure it out. I've got some outfitters that I'm working with in different states, even Africa, even some up in Canada. So I'm pretty sure I can find you a place to hunt, uh, even with overcounter elk, you know, a, a cow tag. I can get you hooked up with an outfitter if you want to go get some elk meat. All right, there's opportunities out there if you don't if you don't get a tag, go get experience, go get reps. If you've never hunted elk, there's nothing wrong with hunting a cow because you're in the elk woods. So that actually, when you finally get that opportunity to draw that bull tag of wherever you're drawing or wherever you're applying, you're going to have experience and reps in the elk woods. You're going to see how they act. You're going to see how they move. You're going to be in that environment that they're in. So you're going to learn how to prepare yourself for that moment that maybe perhaps a once in a lifetime tag that you've been waiting 15, 20 years for. So if you've never been on a trip or something like that, there's opportunities there. So reach out, contact me. I'd love to help you out. Also, don't forget about the Guide Sessions Media Services, where we offer a wide variety of photography and videography services. So you could be an outfitter looking for pictures and photos, um, videos for your website, or even a small business, and you're trying to improve website and improve content, things for social media, reach out. I'd love to help you. Again, you can go to the website at theguidesessions.com or... Look me up on Instagram at The Guide Sessions. What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Here we are. It's halfway through August already. School is starting for some people. Uh, my kiddos are a couple weeks away. Uh, summer break, so it's just about over. However, we're actually going to try and slip in a quick uh, trip, long weekend kind of deal over to the beach. I'm not the biggest beach fan. I'm more of a mountain kind of guy, mountain lakes, but my kids love the beach, so... I try and get them there at least once a year and make it a quick weekend because that's about uh, about all the time we can squeeze in. So we, we've been going there for probably about nine years now. So we at this point, we've got – we always try to have like a standard of places that we want to eat of the things that we've tried over the years. Like, man, can't wait to go back and try that. But we also try and fit in some new places that we haven't been to just so we might find a new favorite. And you never know. One of the things, the odd things, I want to say this – some of you may have heard of it. Some of you may not. The only other place I ever had this was actually over in Michigan when I was a kid. And it was Superman ice cream. And we've discovered it here at the beach probably, you know, eight years ago or so. And every year we're like, first time, first place, first night, first evening, whatever. We're going to the ice cream shop, the one particular ice cream shop, and we're getting Superman ice cream. I don't know what. It's a different flavor. 
Some people like it, some people don't. But um, if you haven't tried it and you know where it is, go ahead and try it. It's worth a shot. Anyway, we're not here to talk about ice cream. <laughs> but um, September's coming because when school starts, that next thing that means summer's over, September's coming, which for a lot of people, a lot of states, a lot of things are starting to kick off in hunting season. Like here in Pennsylvania, it's the resident goose season kicks off with like dove season, you know, kind of exciting, kind of not. But, you know, the big thing out there is out west, you're really kicking off a lot of your elk seasons and archery seasons, you know, ruts mid-September for a lot of places. You know, got that September 8th through 15th kind of deal, depending where you're at and moon phases, all that stuff. But for me this year, actually, September does not mean elk season. It actually means South Africa. That's right. September 1st, uh, you know, early part of there is September. I'm actually heading over to South Africa. Going to do a little hunt over there. Don't quite know what animals I'm going to shoot yet. Um, that's still going back and forth with the outfit I'm going with. And definitely looking forward to it. Never thought that I'd be heading over there, but I am. I'm actually bringing one of my, my good buddies, my best friend, with me uh, to share the experience. I'm going to film it and do all kinds of other stuff there. And... So definitely looking forward to when I come back, update everybody about how the trip was. I'm actually even thinking about doing a podcast of just me and my buddy, you know, even though he's not a guide or anything, but uh, just to kind of go over his experience, because this is going to be his first like guided hunt experience and kind of go over what his expectations were, how it was, as well as my expectations and how it was, and just kind of tell the story of the thing, the whole trip start to finish and uh so yeah i might turn that into an episode i might not i don't know but uh always rolling around ideas in my head but anyway as for today's show some of you may have seen his shark fishing videos on social media but he doesn't just catch sharks we're talking with chris stefanu also known as the li shark man chris was born and raised in new york and after experience the thrill of taking some of his friends along all his adventures he just started to start guiding in the woods and on the shore. So in this episode, we discussed transitioning from the friend guide kind of thing to full-time guide. Navigating social media, obtaining permissions to hunt. There's all kinds of stuff you got to do there. Out-of-the-box turkey hunting strategies. It's really cool what he did. Dealing with public on the beach. You know, you got some Karens out there. Catching sharks, obviously. Tagging sharks and conservation. So much more. This is Chris Stefanu. Talk with me on the Guide Sessions Podcast. All right, we are live, and today on the show, we've got a long-awaited guest, Chris Stefanu, who is not only a hunting guide, but he's a surf fishing guide, uh, who he targets sharks off the coast of New York. So, Chris, welcome to the show. What's going on, man? Thank you, and thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it's uh, so glad we we're finally able to connect as we were talking pre-podcast. This this has been podcast been a long time in the making just because of the schedules. <laughs> so <laughs> I know, man. I just been I've been so busy between fishing and then I'll be fishing the whole summer and then that ends and then I got the whole hunting thing going on. I'm going on deer hunts and then scouting and all that. So it's been and then of course on the off season I have all these expos I'm doing at these uh, different farm plexes and stuff. So finally made it and I'm definitely glad to be on here and talk about uh guiding yeah so so for the guiding i mean how did you did you get started i mean did you do the the fishing stuff first or the the hunting stuff or was it like a both or 
How did it all come so, about? So honestly, I I never ever thought I was going to be a god. I was never really um, it was it wasn't even a thought in my in my head to become a god. I just loved hunting and fishing so much. I started when I was a kid, maybe five years old. Um, I have a, a house in upstate New York, and actually, I was when I was that age. My my dad was a big time hunter, but just deer hunting, just rifle. Never he never wanted to venture out into bow and arrow. Never wanted to do duck hunting, goose hunting, turkey hunting. He was so strict. He's Greek Orthodox, so he's like real strict by the book, and he's just like just wants to do rifle, doesn't want to try anything else. So I'm like, so that's kind of, I grew up, uh, watching him do that. Um, you know, tie, I remember when I was a kid tying his boots to go, when he went to go out or untying his boots when he was freezing cold coming home. And sometimes he would come go take me in the blind. And I was, I, I remember very vague memories cause I was a kid really, uh, long time ago, but I did like, you know, going out and when he would come home with a deer and he showed us how to gut it. And, you know, it was just like, it was a big, big point in my life where I started getting into that hunting. So, mm -hmm. uh, then, um, make a long story short, <clears throat> my parents kind of split, um, when I was probably, when I was like 16, 17 and, uh, I really wasn't close with them. I started doing my own thing and kind of living at friends houses and it was a pretty bad time in my life. And I decided to try and go back to, hunting and fishing and try it by myself because I just found like, I found peace doing it. You know, it was just being in the woods, being on the beach fishing. It just kept my mind off all the, you know, stuff that was going on in my life. And I started really religiously fishing on my own. Then I would like getting my friends involved and getting other people involved. And it was kind of the same thing with hunting. I loved hunting. I started hunt hunting more and more by myself and kind of reaching my goals, you know, getting that, big bird, whether it's a turkey, going duck hunting. And basically I got to the point where I loved it so much myself. And I got that feeling of like satisfaction when I, you know, shot a nice deer, I shot a nice buck, mm -hmm. I, shot, I shot a couple birds, you know, I shot a, uh, um, a turkey. And um, it came to the point where all my friends would see me and I was pretty successful because I spent so much time. I had such a passion that, you know, I would constantly do whatever I had to do to get out in the stand, get out hunting in a blind or get on the beach. And I really enjoyed taking photos, pictures, and kind of sharing my successful hunts with my friends and family. So I started posting on social media and make a long story short. Now I had people reaching out to me, Oh, you got to take me on a hunt. And it was just like, you know, for free for nothing. I said, mm -hmm. yeah, come out. I'll take you on a hunt. And like everybody, most, most guides in the business, you know, they, they get, they used to get that feeling of satisfaction when they shot the, the, uh, the game or, or caught the fish. And now they get the satisfaction of, you know, the people that they're taking out when they see them on a fish or when they see them shoot an, uh, a game, um, they get the satisfaction in that sense, looking at somebody else's, uh, eyes and seeing how they light up with, uh, a successful hunt or a successful fishing day. So, at that point, I was like, wow, I, you know, I really, <laughs> I, I love doing it for other people. And I kind of just started thinking of how can I, you know, make my life, um, make money doing something that I love to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just started venturing out into the guide business and eventually became a New York state guide. I took all the tests and uh, I started uh, posting social media. I made a hunting account and a shark fishing account. And the shark fishing account really took off and the hunting page is slowly doing the same. Um, even though it's, it's a little harder to go viral with the hunting thing because 
so many channels are opposed to hunting and are mm -hmm. opposed to it. So it's a little more difficult. Uh, YouTube and Insta YouTube and Instagram are um, a lot better platforms than say TikTok. I mean, I post one, you know, deer with a uh, with an arrow right next to it, and it'll get taken down. But the social media has really uh, brought everything about, honestly, and uh, got me a lot of clients. So I kind of encourage everybody to try and get on there. I know a lot of guys are against it, but mm -hmm. you know, the world that we are today, um, so many people are scrolling through their phone. You might as well start posting. Yeah, be, you know? being, being, having a look at you and not somebody else. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how you said that about how, you know, with the, with the hunting side of things, it's hard to grow on social media just because of, you know, say the, the, the big media. And it always seems like fishing takes off. And I think fishing takes off because a lot of people can relate to it because it's something, it's a low barrier of entry. You know, you can go to Walmart and get a $10 rod and a couple rubber worms. You can still sort of start catching bass or or bluegill. So it's so much easier for people to relate to than thinking like, oh man, I need to go buy a gun. I need to learn how to shoot it or I need to learn how to shoot a bow. And right. so the barrier entry is much lower and a lot more common for people. And I think a lot of people see access for fishing is a lot more accessible than places to hunt because you know you can go hunt like farmer's ponds and, and the local stream or the local lake and or versus, you know, you trying to knock on doors to go if you're trying to knock on a farmer's pond to go fishing, it's most likely going to say, yeah, sure, whatever, go ahead. But if you're going to knock on the door and say, I want to go hunting, they're going to be like, ah, no, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I Listen, I hear, I hear that side of the story. Also though, I think a big part of why people are getting in, why fishing is more, um, people are getting into fishing a little bit more than hunting is I think there's a big, um, a big thing where, the people that are the, the the guys that are hunting, the girls that are hunting, um, I feel like they they've grown up in the hunting world. So either their parents have hunted, their uncle got them into hunting. So I feel that more and more, and what I've noticed at these shows and and just you know when I was going to high school and in college, um, I noticed that a lot of a lot of people are not into hunting, and I think that's because people aren't getting outside and people aren't getting um you know pa parents should be getting in parents who were hunters should be getting their kids into it which i'd say 90 percent of them are like a lot of them are getting their kids into it but it's just so many kids right nowadays are behind the computer behind the phones playing games playing video games and like that's why that's another reason why i, I kind of like to guide and i post on my social media accounts and i kind of like to direct all my posts not just to everybody but really toward the the new generation to try and get outside and get you know get out in the field get on the beach um i know i know some some kids think fishing's boring because you have to wait and it's boring you have to wait for a hit some days some days you don't get a bite and i feel the shark fishing you know if kids are on their phone all the time and they're they're swiping and they see this kid catching a shark and they're like wow mom i want to do that or dad i want to try that you know i feel like that like tailors to them because they mm -hmm. see the act they're so action driven the kids that i feel like that's like one of the best ways to get them out into the environment and maybe i I can use that to kind of you know mold them to try and you know okay you guys tried fishing with me let's go try hunting you know so mm -hmm. i'm trying to do my best to get the new generation into hunting and fishing because the hunting population i feel is just you know going down as video games are here and you know like yeah. thoughts on hunting is just 
like some people think hunting is just totally should be illegal and we're the main you know c conservationists on this planet we're the reason why animals are in check mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent. i mean hunter hunters are the the number one conservationist i mean i don't know numbers off the top, top of my head but you know we do so much more than say like PETA, you know where they're fighting for things where we're actually all the money that we spend you know and the taxes and you know and the license sales it all goes back to the animals to keep their environment away and keep them in balance and in check right and a lot of people don't you know they they don't even want to hear that like you try to explain that to them and they're so you know like horse horse line um sight and it's just they don't want to hear any of that and it's a shame but it it's all it's all ignorance honestly and anyway i do try to get you know that new generation into it and it is working because i'm seeing i'm seeing the the numbers go up the, i'm seeing kids on the beach that have never fished before mm -hmm. you know i'm bringing them out they're like wow this is sick this is so cool you know it's like it's a great thing as a matter of fact actually i had one of my one of my really good friends i'm not going to say the name but he was uh sitting home he i used to go to I went to high school with him and in college, he reached out to me. He's like, Hey, what are you doing? You want to hang out? He was doing some bad things. You know, he was, he, I'm not saying weed's bad, but he was smoking weed all the time and just mm -hmm. hanging in his house. And I'm not opposed to any, to smoking weed or anything like that, but he's just hanging in his house and he's just, you know, not getting outside. He was playing video games and just, and one day I said, you know what? I said, bro, come with me fishing. Let's go to the beach. He's like, no, no. I go, dude, come with me fishing. Come on. So he comes with me to the beach and, uh, we went shark fishing and I took him out on a day that I knew it was going to be good. And, uh, that being, I, I watched the water temperatures. I watched, uh, four different things. I watched the wind water temperature, the, how clear the water is <clears throat> and, um, um, the forecast of the day. And I knew everything lined up perfectly. I took him out and I'm like, dude, just come on. You got to get into fishing. It's a lot of fun, dude. I took him that day. We caught, I think three sharks that day. That kid has never like smoked ever again. Just because I think something was going on with his life where he had to use that to, you know, get away from reality. Now he started fishing. He contacted me two years later and goes, yo, thank you so much. Because I've been seeing him. I've been seeing him posting mm -hmm. on, on his Instagram pages. And it's almost like, you know, he he completely changed and just got into the outdoors. And that basically healed him. Just hanging out on the beach, fishing on the beach. I see him. I. I got him into the shark thing. Next thing I know, I'm looking. He's striped bass fishing, bluefish fishing. <laughs> That's so it's awesome. Like, it's crazy how fishing in the outdoors, hunting and fishing, could change somebody's life like that. Oh yeah, and and near enough the first story that I've even on this podcast about some of the guides have you know have gone through troubled times and then have have gone back to to fishing and it kind of helped save them. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, that I could uh, I could think of hundreds <laughs> of stories where you know I just fishing and hunting it just calms everything down and it really is the answer to a lot of problems mm -hmm. yeah so as far as say like your hunting goes a little bit like what part of new york like upstate i mean up, upstate people say upstate and that's a big area so like like how because like, like if you're like upstate new york and then you're at the beach like how close is that for you to like maintain and and operate so, yeah so i have a I have a, a cabin up there um and I live in Long Island, so I the cabin's about three hours from uh, my place in Long Island. Okay, and it is hard. It is a little tough because uh, when I want to scout or anything like that, you know, I have to make that three and a half hour drive up, and then I got to come down. So it's a lot of traveling for me. Mm -hmm. uh, 
But I, like I said, I'm three and a half hours up um, and I'm in, no, I want to say I'm in, but I have so many different hunting spots. I have different leases that I have. I have, um, I have permission on different properties to bring uh, my clients on. So that was big too, because then you, you like we, we were talking about before, you got to knock on doors and ask, and then you got to get papers signed and do everything the right way. Cause you know, when you run a business like this, you want to make sure everything is completely by the books, nothing sketchy is going on. And mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's very important. And uh, so it took me a couple, you know, a couple of years to acquire all of the uh, properties that I have now that I'm able to hunt and bring clients on. Um, and then it, it's all also based upon what hunt, um, you know, I'm going after if I'm, if I'm taking somebody out on a coyote hunt, if I'm taking somebody on a turkey hunt, ducks, goose, you know, it's, it's all different. So if the geese and ducks, a lot of it I do here on Long Island, so I don't have to travel, you know, I just mm -hmm. have to find the birds, um, as opposed to turkey, um, that I have to go upstate because on Long Island, they don't allow turkey hunting. Actually this year, they're, this is the first year they're allowing turkey hunting in a pretty long time, honestly. And I think it's going to be <laughs> mayhem out here because <laughs> there's so many old birds out here that I think guys are going to, you're going to be blasting away. So, All right. And they're probably uneducated but, in every way, shape or form. Right. It's going to, so it's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I want to see what's going to happen out there, but I mean, I, I was looking the other day and they said that, uh, there was a lot of, it's like a lottery. Now you have to win a drawing for, uh, even being able to shotgun, uh, turkey hunt out on the island. I had no idea about that. And I'm like, that's my favorite thing to do. Turkey hunt. Honestly, everybody would think, oh, this, this guy definitely loves shark fishing over anything else. Honestly, for me, it's turkey hunting. Um, Why? I just, I, I, I got into it like three years ago and dude, nothing beats the way and the feeling that you get when you're in the middle of the woods or at the corner of a, uh, in the corner of a farm field and them birds just start gobbling and you're mm -hmm. talking back and forth. It's like a game of chess, you know, and whether you're making the right noise, if you're calling too much, calling too little, and then they start gobbling. They're like, to me, it sounds like it's like goblins coming out of the ground. It's the <laughs> craziest thing. The noise goes right through my body and it just it gets me amped because, you know, like when they're talking back and forth with you, you know that, OK, they're coming in or they're not coming in. And then you just it's so the adrenaline, I get more adrenaline than that than anything else. I don't know if it's because I'm desensitized to the shark fishing because I've I, I've caught thousands <laughs> of sharks already and right. I catch hundred at least 300 every year. I don't know if that's it, but I don't know. The turkeys get me going. I mean, I'm I can't wait till May 1st. I'm on my phone and dude, turkey hunting videos are just popping up and it's just like, dude, I'm ready to go. Like I'm I'm already asking people down in Florida like Somebody, everybody want to go turkey hunting? Like I'll film the whole thing. I don't even care if I shoot it. I just want to hear them gobbling and get right. it on. Yeah, know? yeah, for sure. I mean, so I mean, if you just started turkey hunting just a few years ago, what are some of the things that you've kind of learned already, or had to like kind of self teach yourself that kind of stuck out in your brain? So I I started like three years ago, but when I get into something, like I go all in. Like both feet, you just dive right in. Oh, man, I don't even I don't even go easy. I don't even go light. <laughs> I'm like, that's it. I got to get every turkey vest. I got to get this, that, the other thing. I got to get the turkey chokes. I got to get the turkey ammo, like everything. I just dive right in and not just pr like product wise and, uh, you know, essentials, but I uh, dedicate all my time to it. Mm -hmm. So like all of May, all of like all of April, I'm scouting in April. Mm -hmm. 
day, every single day, I'm looking for birds. Whether I, if I gotta, if if I don't have any birds roosted, I'll wake up at five in the morning, and my girlfriend thinks I'm out of my mind. I'll wake up five in the morning, put throw some country music on, have a, uh, I'll get coffee at the gas station. I'll just drive around with the windows cracked down. That's my favorite thing, driving around upstate and just looking for birds on uh, those pieces of property that I have access to. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I'll be driving in between properties, and then I'll see, you know, two three birds hanging in the corner. And uh, all fl fanned out, and then I'll that might be another property that I might have access to. I'll find the owner on Onyx Maps if he's there. You a lot of the time, um, the owners are not there, and there it's actually like a second a second home or a summer home. And I actually go on Onyx uh, Onyx Maps, and I find the last name, find the phone number. I just Google it online, mm -hmm. and believe it or not, a lot of the time I get in contact with them, and I end up signing a lease. And uh, so that's kind of that's kind of how. Um, I'd say I started three years ago, but it feels like I've been doing it for so much longer because I dedicate so much time to these things. Yeah, and that, and and door knocking, phone calling, lease agreements that takes more time than most people realize. Oh yeah, you know. And so for your lease agreement, is that something you just kind of drew up, or did you have like a an attorney kind of help you draft it up to cover you? I, or? Yeah, I had one of my attorneys help me out with that. Um, and there's different stipulations with different uh, landowners. Obviously, some guys, you know, want it at certain times. Some some guys want you there at this time. And maybe there's other hunters on the property. So every uh, every permission has different stipulations. And uh, I highly suggest everybody gets a lawyer to do that, you know, because you don't want to cut corners. You want to make sure everything's on the paper. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of like my advice. Um but yeah, that's kind of, that's the big thing is, you know, if you don't have that much land to hunt on and, you, you know, just venture out and see if guys will sign leases or um, will allow you to take clients on, on their land. Cause sometimes you, like I said, you see birds, like the, the owner, the homeowners are not around. Mm -hmm. And if you give them a call, you know, they might say, yeah, I'm not there all of May. Go ahead. Uh, so write me up in a, a lease agreement and uh, email it to me. I'll have, I'll have a look at it, sign it, and you know you're good to go. The worst thing a homeowner can say is no. Right. So why? Not? You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that's a big fear a lot of people have about just either just cold door knocking or, or cold reaching out that right. they're afraid to hear no. I mean, but like if you don't ask, you, it's never going to be a yes. <laughs> right. And honestly, I think that fear goes away after you get like after you get your first four. one. Yeah. yeah. After you get like two or three no's, you're like, okay, like I'm good. Like I, I could just, I if this guy says no, and then when you get a yes, you're like, oh my god, I thought you were going to say in your head, you're like, I thought you were going to say no. Right. And it just ends up, you know, it's it's great. It's it's cool. It's exciting. So, with being turkey hunting, we'll stay on that here real fast. Can you recall and kind of tell us about your first personal turkey hunt, that one that really got you going? Was it a, did it last a long time or did it just fly down your lap and you shoot? I mean, was dude, it a fight? Dude, it was insane. It was like, I don't know why, like everybody's first bird, especially my clients too. I had these two, uh, two crazy stories. The first one is, is mine, but whenever people come with me and it's their first time going after a deer or it's their first time going after a, a, a turkey, Dude, I'm telling you right now, beginner's luck is 100% real thing. <laughs> I can, like, I'll it's agree not with even that. funny, dude. Like, uh, people don't believe in stuff like that. Bro, if you if I filmed all my hunts, which I'm starting to now, you'll realize, like, holy crap. But anyway, I uh, it was May 1st, literally the opening day, and um, I had my two of my buddies with me, and we were at our upstate house. Um, 
and we decided to turkey hunt. Now, I didn't know how to call at all. I was using one of them scratch the the scratcher calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, not was it a box call? Yeah, you know what? It was a box call. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was a box call. And I didn't know how to use it at all. I just made noises that I thought a turkey, you know, sounded like. And we used a blind. We brought a blind to the middle of the woods. Like, literally, dude, I I kid you not. We (laughs) didn't know if there were birds around. We didn't roost any birds. We never seen any birds. Nothing. I'm like, all right, well, maybe we just go into the woods, set up a blind, and actually, we set up two blinds. It was one next to each other, dude. Like two blinds in the middle of the woods. Like <laughs> anything walking through there is like, yeah, I'm not going near that because right. that was not there yesterday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we put two two blinds next to each other. We kind of brushed it in. It was early morning, and uh, we get into the blind. I'm in one blind, and my buddy, I'm in one blind with my friend, and my other friend was in the other blind, which was right next to us. Our windows were down, so we could see each other. Um, but we all three of us couldn't fit in one, so we did one and one, um, one blind and the other blind next to it, uh, our blind. Mm-hmm. And I was in my blind, gonna shoot my first bird, if one was gonna come out. Right. And buddy, my buddy who was in my blind had the camera rolling. Okay. So he was, he was with the film, and and then the guy John who was in my the the who was in the blind to the right of us, he was alone in there, and he had his gun, I had my gun. The second we sat down in the blind and we set up, the camera was up, we had our shotgun, we loaded the shotguns, and the second we were done loading the shotguns, we're like, all right, you guys you guys ready? And dude, out of nowhere, we just heard a gobble. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm looking around, I'm like, no freaking way. And then I'm like, you guys hear that? They're like, no. I'm like, what are you talking about? No, I just heard it. It was pretty far. There's like a little creek down across the street from where... Uh, um we were hunting probably like 200 300 yards and you could hear in the distance them gobbling right so i started using the box call and i was using the box call dude like just constantly i wasn't giving it a break it i was on that thing just like it was way too much like if i if <laughs> just I a broken it, record just going oh man dude i was like it didn't even sound like a turkey call at one point i was just scratching you know mm-hmm. you scratching it moving it but anyway, make a long, really long story short, that bird started coming up and coming up and getting closer and getting closer. And I'm like shaking. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, I'm like, all right, all right, it's coming, it's coming. And if you go tur- if you're turkey hunting and you hear that thing getting closer and closer, it's so loud in the middle of the woods. It could be 50 yards away from you. It feels like it's gobbling in your chest. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. So it's coming and closer, it's coming closer. And then I hear my buddy to the right and he goes, he goes, oh my God. He goes, I see them. I go, what do you mean them? He goes, there's two, there's two. I'm like, there's two? And he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my God, are we about to, du- in my head, are we going to double up right now? <laughs> my friend's on the camera, dude, and he's filming the whole thing. You see the two birds coming in fully flared up. And I forgot to tell you, we, we did put two decoys out, a Jake and a hen. Okay. And uh, we just literally put them 10 yards in front of the blind right next to each other, like as if they were mating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, we put them right next to each other and... Again, I, I didn't really know better. I, I, this was my first day turkey hunting, and they came in real hot, like gobbling so loud, and you could hear the double gobbles, you know, the mm-hmm. rah, rah. and uh, my heart was racing. John's heart was racing. Rob, who was behind me with the camera, his heart's racing. So they're coming out, and 
my buddy who is the, in the blind next to me, I go, I go, move over quick, like move closer to me so I could talk quieter and he mm -hmm. can hear and the birds won't hear us. So they come in and then you see the birds coming in and they're probably 20 yards away. And then they get to like literally 15 yards away, which was like way too close. We should have shot way before. But in my head, I'm like, oh, I got to wait till they get closer. I'm thinking mm -hmm. we're going to miss whatever. So I go, all right, you ready to shoot? And he, I go, you ready to shoot? Freaking, he just, I just hear boom. Right. <laughs> I go, what the hell? I, I look at him. I go, what the hell, dude? I go, we were going to get both of them. And then you see the other one walking around. He goes, he goes, shoot him, Chris, shoot him. Dude, as the other one's like kind of running away, I just randomly kind of picked the gun up. I followed his head through the woods. I, like, I don't even remember. I think my eyes were closed. I shot. Uh -huh. Dude, we got both of them. Awesome. It was the craziest thing. I, <laughs> I, turn, I turn around to Rob. I go, Rob, did you get that? He goes, yeah, yeah. I go, why is the camera not red then? Like, oh, dude, no. Dude, it wasn't on record. I was, I was. Oh. But honestly, it was the coolest story, and at least I had two guys to witness it. But beginner's luck, right there. Yeah, you know, I was like, and that—that's the point when I fell in love. And honestly, if that didn't happen, I probably I may not have fallen in love with turkey hunting. You know. Yeah, but I if, probably if you talk to my daughter, it's probably the same thing. Beginner's luck. Last year, you know, we she came in, we we set up right below a bird, and he ended up having just because of the angle he came in behind us and we couldn't spin around and he ended up gobbling and calling other two other two other birds with him and they started a fight behind us and they're all three of them were fighting and i was like okay we can move because they're so distracted i was right. like go ahead turn around and, and like she had to spin around on her knees like i'm holding the gun you know up for supporting her you know while she's waiting for them to separate and then once they separate you know she picked one off and like but for like the first half hour, that bird just sat there like 30 yards behind us, just gobbled, you know, and I'm calling and I got decoys out in front of us in the field trying right. to call him past us. But he's just sitting there gobbling and spitting and drumming. And I'm just watching her just like a stone, like shaking from adrenaline. And I'm just like, and that's then the best, she, she loves it. I mean, so the whole beginner's luck thing is because that's all she cares about. Her and she's stoked for this season coming up. And because uh, we're actually heading up to New York, I met a I met an outfitter up there. And we're gonna go um, do some stuff in New York here on the youth season in April. So oh yeah, that's the twenty second and twenty third, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I usually I last year I took uh, one of my buddy's uh, sons out for youth, and we 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 got a nice bird, his first bird, which was which was cool. I plan on do, doing the same thing again. It's nice because. I get to go out there, get get you know a kid on the bird, and then I get to film the whole thing, and mm -hmm. you know the birds are really working mid-April, you know. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean that. I mean that early because unpressured. Right. You know the first things out the gate. I mean they're they're patterned or so predictable at that at that oh, time of year. Right. But yeah, that's awesome, man. That's nice that they have that that youth season, you know, because I like it because, like you said, it's very easy to get the birds to come in um they're ready they're easy to pattern and what's good great about that is you don't you're not taking you know these kids out um during may when it's a little harder it's a little more it's a little more you got to be a little more precise with the birds and you know you might not see them with the with the, a 15 year old and a 14 year old. and what they want to see they want to see action right away mm -hmm. you know most most 13 14 15 year olds um so the best way to do that is get them get them out uh mid-april and uh score a bird and that's a great way to get that new generation into the into the sport and actually get them to fall in love with it you know no oh, yeah and it's gets spoiled and I, I told her that i was like i was like you're so spoiled i was like i've never had that happen <laughs> i was like oh my years i've never had that happen and i said you're so spoiled right 
but yeah, so she's all about it. She wants to go chase the 49 and get one in every state. So I'm like, oh, I'm like, all right, I'll film it. You know, we're going to make one heck of a documentary. It's going to take oh. some years, but we're going to do it. Dude, that's going to be sick. You know, yeah. like, like 30 minute video or something like that. Mm -hmm. or, or maybe you just do each bird a different episode. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I'll probably like, as, as we go, like, I'll probably release stuff on each bird for a YouTube video, but like at the end, you know, in like 20 years when we get all 50, 20, 30 years when all 50, you know, who knows what the technology is going to be then, you know, right. but just click uh, a button and the whole thing edits for, for yeah, you. Yeah. We'll be doing the whole thing and it'll be like some 3d hologram of reliving the hunt, yeah, you know, right? kind of deal. Oh dude, that's sick. I was thinking, you know, what's funny about that. I'm, they have those 360 uh, cameras, like yeah. the go. 360 and then they have that insta 360 yeah the insta 360 is a sweet camera dude it's so good and uh what i was thinking is why don't i you know i was thinking about during my hunts or during my fishing you know shark fishing throw one of those things on my head but they're kind of awkward but throw one of one on my head and film the whole thing right and make it into an episode where i could post it on youtube and if anybody has you know those oculus um kind of yeah like the oculus yeah you could see 360 and you you'll literally throw those on look around and it's like you're there again because right. i don't know if you ever use them oculus goggles but mm -hmm. when you throw things on and play a video game or play a I, I don't play video i tried them on one time at my buddy's house and it was so real it was like i was in a shark tank or something mm -hmm. and you, i looked around and your mind like tricks yourself to actually think you're inside of a shark tank because you, oh, yeah. you look left and the video the screen is looking left so if i did that on a hunt or a fishing uh trip all the viewers would have to do is throw those goggles on and it'll actually be like they're there so it, it's a pretty cool concept you know yeah yeah and that's the cool thing about those 360s is actually we can, we'll, we'll we'll kind of side branch and since we're both camera guys too yeah. um the uh with that insta 360 i haven't got one yet but i plan on getting one uh there's a company called fourth arrow which does like camera arms yep. for hunt yep and they actually have like a six foot stick that you can like attach to a tree like above you in a tree stand and a lot of people get gopros on them for that second angle to look straight down at the hunter is like right. why not put an insta 360 on that and that way if something comes in behind you you got you you have that reverse angle no matter what and you right. can see 360. right yeah, I, I think that's you can a good, put that on a turkey blind, you know, stick it on the top. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I I thought of that too. Uh, I I was thinking about that because obviously you're not going to get it, especially when you're on a solo hunt, you know. Yeah. But the thing is with them GoPros is, I, the vid the footage it, it's set at a at a at a fixed um, zoom mm -hmm. and it's it's wide, so I feel like game has to be pretty damn close like 10 to 15 yards and it's like it's it's such a difference than you know using a camcorder or mm -hmm. get, you know getting that close up and zooming and zooming out i mean yeah it's hard it's better it's better than nothing but the videos that hit are the ones where those those cameras are really panning in on the animal coming in mm -hmm. and you know getting clear footage that's not so far away so it does have its advantages and disadvantages but it's a sick concept yeah, I mean, because it just helps build the story in my mind. Because if something's coming in behind you, there's no reason why you can't have like a GoPro as a second angle on the side. You got your main camera pointing in the hunting ground, and you got your 360 above you, and then you can be like, you can be talking to the camera like, "Yeah, it's coming in behind us," and you can flip to the 360, and you're right, cutting back right, and right. forth between the angles. And then once it comes into view, you know, boom, you're on it with the main camera. Right, right, you right. Know? So it's just another, it's another tool to to build that story. Yeah, no, hundred percent. 
But Great yeah. idol. Yeah. So technology, who knows where it's going to go. I know. It's only getting crazier and crazier, yeah. right? But uh, heck, we can probably talk camera stuff for you know <laughs> a long time. But <laughs> no. um, but yeah, getting back to the hunting and stuff like that. I mean, so about how many acres do you lease total? I mean, if you got multiple properties, do you know? Oh, uh, I would say uh, I'm gonna give a rough number. I'd say maybe like fifteen hundred to two thousand, oh. which is it's. It, I hear guys have a lot more, but yeah, that's that's enough. Yeah, that's oh, it's definitely enough. I mean, I, and that's obviously spread out property, so it's not like you mm-hmm. know you have a two hundred and fifty at one spot, and you know it's it's spread out. There's like fifty here, there's a seventy five here, there's a hundred here, one twenty there. So it's all it's an all different, you know, and all of them are maybe fifteen twenty minutes from one another. And what's great about that is you know, you're not hunting the same animals. Right, and you're not overpressuring. Like, you have one right. big farm that's just getting the right. same pressure. Or, yeah, or not even just one big farm. But if you have 50 acres of, of, or let's say 100 acres of a farm, you know, in one county, and um, a quarter mile, half a mile down the road, you have another 50 acres, you know, between those two farms, you could be potentially hunting the same animals. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, don't, you really want to get into different... Uh, you know, herds of deer or you want to get into different um, flocks of birds and stuff, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess kind of jump back uh, real quick because you mentioned blinds, that you're using blinds for turkeys. Do you always use blind or do you run and gun? So I I do run and gun. Um, it's obviously it's a lot harder to film with run and gun. Mm-hmm. I'm a big film guy. I want to get everything on film, honestly. I got a sickness that right, I yeah. do on film. Um, so I do like using the blinds. Um and if I know a bird's, you know, roosted in a certain area and he's been there for a long time and, you know, long time meaning a couple days um, and I see him getting down the roost in a certain area, I'll probably use a blind because if I know he's coming down and I I really know that, you know, I'm like 80 to 90 percent sure that <clears throat> he'll come into decoys in a certain area, I'll throw a blind up and get all that crazy camera footage out. But um, uh, this year I'm probably going to do a little more run, run and gun because now I have a a second cameraman that'll be with me, one of my buddies. So we'll be doing more of that. I mean, it's real hard to run and gun and film when you're doing, when you're hunting by yourself. It's Mm -hmm. like, I mean, I seen them hunting public guys and they're always got film guys with them, you know, whether it's one, two, three freaking guys, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm sure it could be done, but it would have to be done. Like we were talking about before with the Insta 360 and the GoPro on the gun, one on your chest. And it's like, it gets a little, gets a little uh, hectic and on top of all of that you got to focus on the bird right so. yeah it's a lot to control oh yeah so w- with your decoys what you kind of said you make make a decision on whether or not you're going to set decoys out so what helps you make that decision whether you're not putting are you going to put one jake out one hen both what are you honestly i usually i usually always resort to at least one hen and one uh jake um but sometimes it depends like on the uh on the the terrain like the land um like i remember one time we had a this bird was roosted on a ridge and the ridge was so um it was such a such a thin ridge where he it was almost like a mountaintop and the it was one bird big time that would be roosted up there all the time and you couldn't get in there uh without him seeing you at night Hmm. so i'm like i'm thinking what do we do what do we do so what we did was 
we waited for him to roost, to get into the roost. And obviously, when they root, when they roosted, they still gobble. They gobble and they gobble. So we waited for it to get real dark, and we're like, do we use? Do we get? How do we get decoys up there without him seeing us? Because, like I said, it's I don't know. It's really tough to explain, but it was such a a small. It was a high ridge, but it was a small. The width of the ridge was so small. It was like almost like a uh, just a, a walking path, like uh, I don't know, maybe two feet wide, and then just dipped down on both sides. Um, and the bird would walk up um, from a pretty ways, maybe like two, three hundred yards away. And he'd walk that walkway and that walkway got higher and higher and higher until it got to the top. And he knew he was safe up there um, because he can see anything coming and he could hear anything coming because the gradient was so steep. You're like, like crawling. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to be crawling up there. And you know how much noise that makes? You know, oh. so it, the thing was smart. So what we did was before he got up there, we put um, a from from where he would go up and walk up to roost that uh, 200 yard walk that he would take. And it was steep on both sides of that trail. Mm -hmm. He would walk up there and we watched him do that for like two or three days. And he'd do that at like right as the sun's going down. So what we did is we got in there at like 3 p.m., 4 p.m. And what we did was we took um, two decoys. We did use decoys for this. Mm -hmm. um, we took two decoys and we set up toward the beginning of that trail Um and we were, we were going to put the birds right at the beginning of the trail, but we said, let's get it at, as close to him as possible. And we, we knew the tree that he was roosted at because we saw it from a, from a distance away. And we went up that road, the, not road, but that little path. And we got maybe, because we heard him gobbling, we probably got like 100 yards away from him. Because mm -hmm. the trees that he was in, there was no cover. I mean, we saw him, we saw him like his silhouette in the tree. And we also used a, a little thermal handheld thermal to make sure that it was him at, uh, in the evening. And we, we looked at that thermal, we looked through and sure enough, that thermal lit up with the heat marker and that was him up there. So once we saw that from like a hundred yards away, we're like, all right, let's put decoys out. Um, so at 3 PM before he got up there, we put, uh, a Jake and a hen, hundred yards away from him but what we did was we had a, a camouflage um it was like a camo netting and we put it over those two birds because we knew that he was going to pass those two birds to go roost and we didn't want him to pass and look at him and be like, you know figure out and realize oh these ain't these ain't real you mm -hmm. know and maybe get spooked so we threw those two camo netting on top the camo netting on top of the two birds and he went up that night and roosted in that same tree and the next morning what we did was we snuck up to those two the two birds that we left out there we took we kind of we didn't take the netting off because we used fishing line so we attached fishing yeah <laughs> this crazy. is complex this is like home alone dude, dude, we, we took fishing line and we attached the fishing line to the camo netting that was covering the the two birds because okay. those two birds were basically that if we went if we went to go in the morning and put those decoys out where they were, the bird would easily see us. The Tom would see us in the in, from where he mm -hmm. was roosted. So we knew we couldn't go set the decoys out uh, that morning. So we put the camo netting over the birds th at 3 p.m. the night before. I mean, the day, basically it was yeah. daytime. And then we attached 200 yards of fishing line from that camo netting 
all the way to the beginning of the path. So we woke up in the morning, went to the beginning of the path. We took the fishing line, basically yanked it, and the netting came off those two decoys, and we basically reeled the netting in, and then we set up 50 to, I think, like 40 or 50 yards away from the decoys mm -hmm. at, the beginning of the at the beginning of the entrance so that we weren't close enough where he would see us. So we started calling, 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 and in the morning came right down, came right down the path, and we smoked them. Oh, that's... Yeah, it's it's a crazy story and it's hard to explain that story. Yeah, I get it though. I mean, that's like I mean, talk about a booby trap and some planning and getting creative with the situation. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was it was uh, it was crazy. I wish I had that film, but unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> all the good ones don't get filmed. Right? Yeah, it always happens that way. The camera gets jumpy and he double punches the record button. Yeah, right. that happens. <laughs> but yeah. Um, you want to talk over, jump over to the beach here a little bit and talk some sharks? Oh, yeah. Um, shark fishing. Have you ever been shark fishing before? I have never been shark fishing, man. I mean, I, like, how, like, what made you decide I'm going to go catch sharks? Um, I get that question a lot. All the time I get that question. So I was into freshwater fishing before any saltwater. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandfather got me into it when I was a little kid upstate at the reservoir. We have a little reservoir by, by our house, and we also have a little pond. And, you know, large mouth, small mouth when I was a kid. And then, uh, again, when my parents had split kind of all that hunting and fishing where we went on them family trips, kind of went away. And then I said, uh, when I was like 16, 17, and I said, oh, let me, you know what, let me get back into, let me try fishing. So one of my friends, uh, I asked him, he was catching stripers and blues, and I, I asked him to take me out. And uh, he took me out fishing um used his gear i didn't have anything of my own um and he just put a piece of bunker on um which is like a it's almost like a mini bluefish kind of but um we put a piece of bunker on threw it out and we were just waiting waiting and the line got hit ripped ripping line like the, my friend he was like he's like yo you got something on it's it's huge it's huge here you reel it in i'm like no no you reel it in he's like no you <laughs> like, all right i'll reel it in so i'm really really in Long story short, we ended up catching maybe a three or four foot shark. Okay. It was right over here off Long Island. And I saw that thing and he's like, cut the line immediately. Cut it, dude. You're not, you're going to get your hand bitten off. Like you're crazy. Cut it. I'm like, I'm not cutting the line. I'm getting the hook out of this fish's mouth. This is the sickest thing ever. I got to look at it. <laughs> so we, I get it. I get the hook out, send it back on its way. And ever since then I went home, I researched what type of shark it was. I researched why sharks are here, what kind of sharks are here and I just fell in love with it. I posted that photo that I took of it um, on my Instagram, my personal, um, before I had any, uh, you know, business accounts. And mm -hmm. it kind of went viral. People were saying, where'd you catch that? Are you crazy? And then I made the news a couple of times. And and then it kind of took over. Over just then, a three-foot shark, three, four-foot shark. Over a three-foot shark. People are like, oh, my God. Because you know what it is? It's not even just three, the three-foot shark. It's just the word shark. It's like, oh, my God, shark, Long Island, like death. You know, oh, my God, everybody's so scared. <laughs> Like that's the first thing people think. Jaws, oh my God, terrible. Right. Um, make a long story short, I started posting and I would keep going out and, you know, fishing and catching sharks, catching bluefish, catching stripers, but I would post the sharks because they fascinated me. And um sure enough, there was one time I went to the beach. I go to the same beach every uh every season. I venture out yeah, here and there, but I'm usually local to this one beach. Uh it's private and there's a lot of regulars that go there and they see me there all the time and they love watching me. They love getting involved, seeing what, any new catches that I, that I get. And then I catch. And, uh, one guy came up to me. He's like, Hey, well, if it ain't the shark, man, 
of Long Island. And I'm like, and that's kind of where the name came out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I should make my own account and call it Long Island Sharkman. Then I thought, I'm like, Long Island Sharkman, it's kind of long for an Instagram handle. So I'm like, let me shorten it up. I'll do L.I. Sharkman. And then I posted and I just, you know, it just kind of blew up pretty, pretty damn quick. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, just so you fish a private beach, which is I was going to I was going to ask that if you're fishing a private or, or public because because of a public and with what you're doing, you know, you, you, you have to have a lot of people coming and give you all kinds of issues and problems and or just like draw a crowd, I guess. It'd probably even draw, just draw a crowd anyway with a private right. beach. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm on a private beach, but there's tons of people on it. Um, it's like it's private to. Um, Town, the town that I'm that I that I live in, but there's mm -hmm. obviously so many people in this town, and a lot of people go there. A lot of people bring friends, family, and everything. And I do get a lot of crowds. Um, and I believe it or not, I do get um some issues here and there, but not as much as many as you know some people might think. So maybe like once or twice a season, and a season in one season, I go out like <laughs> five to six days a week. You know, ten hour shifts I do on the beach and. I'd say one or two of those times I'll have somebody come by. Oh my God, you're attracting sharks to the beach. My kids are going to get bit. These people are going to get bit. And I try, I tell them, you know, nicely. And even though I'm so like red in the face because like ask me <laughs> nicely, come to right. me nicely, don't harass me, you know? And I try to explain to them very nicely. And I say, listen, I'm just, I'm fishing here. These sharks are here, whether I'm here or not. My six ounce piece of bait is not attracting the black tip migration from Florida. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Sharks are coming up because the water's cleaner, the water temperatures are warming up, you know, and the bait fish are very close to shore. That's the reason. I'm just proving that they're there, you know? And a lot of people think that my six ounce piece of bait, which is the same exact bait that guys use for stripers and bluefish, and they think that that's attracting, you know, sharks to the beach. But then I, yeah. I tell them, yeah, your six cents, your six cents baits drawing them up all the way from Florida. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. So it's like it's it's it gets ridiculous. But, you know, I try to educate everybody as 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 nicely and, you know, respectfully as I can. Mm -hmm. And it works. Um, but then there's uh, other people that you can't uh, you could prove them. You prove it to them scientifically. You can you know, they just have they're just like that horse. Just what? have one one opinion and they don't want to hear anything else and we got into we got into uh somebody like that on uh on the beach down in florida i made a little video on it i don't know if you saw it but yeah i think i saw you just posted that recently didn't you yeah we had a karen on the beach mm -hmm. and oh man it was it made for a good video but everybody on the beach was like get back in your house like there's kids <laughs> around this guy's trying to get everybody into fishing and you're ruining it for everybody there's kids you're cursing so and that's it you know down in florida that's sportsman's harassment i think we might have it in new york too mm. but that's sportsman's harassment you know we're trying to work with a fish and and get this shark back out and and study these fish and uh you know she can get a get summons for that and mm -hmm. you know she there was, there's been people arrested for sportsman's harassment. It's a real thing, and over oh, the yeah. long, it happens all the time. Guys are deer hunting and and turkey hunting, and you got these, you know, you got these people and Karens harassing um, the hunters, um, and they don't know, they don't know any better. You know, if if they just actually read a little bit or listened to us hunters and fishermen and what we do, you know, whether it be for the ecology of our oceans or you know the conservation of our woods, 
you know, we're helping out and they just see one thing and they just think it's terrible, you know, mm -hmm. but then again, they'll go into the supermarket and grab, uh, uh, you know, a rotisserie chicken that's, that's been in a, <laughs> a 10 by 10 room with a hundred other chickens that are, right. you know, pooping and shitting on top of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, living in disgusting conditions, but they'll, they'll go into the supermarket and they'll advocate for that. You mm -hmm. know, it's, it's all ignorance, bro. Yeah. So with with the science of things, do you actually like do any partner with any like schools or the government of any sense and like do tagging and like tracking of any sign? Because like with how many so, sharks you catch? Yeah, I mean, so there's tons of sharks, tons of different species of sharks on Long Island. Um, I do tag the species that you're allowed to tag. It used to be where you were allowed to tag uh, all of them. Now there's three species that you are not allowed to tag. Um, but I do tag a ton of different species um all along the east coast um and this helps uh different associations universities and honestly everybody uh who is in the marine biology field uh study these animals uh well so i do a lot of work with the uh national oceanic atmospheric association i tag different species um now what do you put on the tag is it just a number and then it's yeah yeah it's just a number and the number can be recorded again when either another fisherman catches it or a marine biologist catches it or somebody uh, a diver catches it or any of these universities like stony Brook, they do a lot of uh shark research actually a couple of miles out from where i fish on the beach and um it helps them out um figure out their migration patterns where they're congregating where they're laying their pups so that they can limit certain commercial fishing or certain, you know, like those windmills that they're putting out, because um, that's destroying habitats also, and uh, it helps. But um, yeah, New York State has a has a law where um, there are three pretty prevalent sharks that hang out around Long Island that you're not allowed to tag. Um, I'm I think it's because they're endangered, um, even though there's tons of them. Um, I think they're that's well, there's tons of them because they're kind of little they like to come and hang out around long island um but i try to tell all the uh new guys getting into the sport to know how to handle those type of fish um it's very important to know how to handle them how to properly get them back into the ocean you know and us being camera me and you being camera guys we always want to get everything on film right so mm -hmm. it's very important when you want to have a picture with them or you want to have a, a video of them um you are not delaying the process to release them um so that includes dragging them up to dry sand and, you know, posing for a picture. You have one person dedicated to the film, you know, mm -hmm. and you're completely 110% focused in on the fish, focused in on getting the hook out, either cutting the hook with bolt cutters and releasing that shark um, back into the water as quickly and safely as possible. You know, everybody, a lot of people are worried about their this side of the line, you know, and getting a photo and worrying about themselves, where I try to turn that notion around and really focus on the other side of the line and worry about the shark. You know, we want this sport to, to thrive. It's, it's, it's a new and it's new and upcoming and we should know how to do it the right way. Um, and I'm, I've been in contact with a couple of DEC officers and DEP and DNR out in Pennsylvania. Also, um, I was speaking with them at the Harrisburg show, but it would be nice in Florida. They have a shark land-based shark fishing course, and it tells you how to handle fish, what, how to properly identify them, what tackle to have, what type of gear, what type of fishing line, what type of uh, um, uh, bolt cutters for the hook. And I think New York, uh, New Jersey, actually every state on the coastline should really uh, adopt that um, because 
you know, there's going to be guys wanting to um, fish, catch and release for sure, just like guys catch and release bass, catch and release bluefish. You know, there's going to be guys that want to do that. Um, I do the catch and release, but I there's a little bit more purpose to what I do. I do I I want to re help research these different fish. Um, you know, whether it be tagging, whether it be blood samples, putting satellite acoustic tags, you know, on different species. So. Again, I, I want to get the uh, new generation into it, but I want to get it, them into it properly and mm -hmm. uh, bring it safely for the angler and the shark as well. Yeah, so when you're talking tackle a little bit, I mean, what's your what's your basic, like, you know, bare bones in terms of somebody wanting to get started in this? Like, what, what kind of rod are they going to use? Like, what size, what weight, what line, what reel? Like, can you do a breakdown of that real fast? Yeah, so... Honestly, how I started, I, I started with a regular striped bass rig, striped bass line, striped bass, you know, rod and reel. Um, so it really, you don't have to go too fancy. It's just when you want to go for, you know, anything really bigger is when you want to get fancy. But over my years, I would say the base setup for somebody who wants to get into it, I would go with um, a pen slammer or a Shimano Saragossa reel. Uh, the Saragossas, I would I would get at least a 20,000. So it's called a Shimano Saragossa 20,000. Um, that reel ranges from 250 to 300 bucks. Or you can get a Pen Slammer or a Pen Fierce. A Pen Fierce 8,000 probably goes for 125, 150 bucks. You know, that's the baseline reel I would get. Mm -hmm. um, and I would put at least 60 pound line on, 60 pound that's test. That's Yeah. Because yeah, if well, if you think of it, those reels are only putting out maybe forty pounds of drag. Okay. You know, um, so I would definitely do that, um, and I would definitely use at least a ten foot rod. I like the rod sitting higher on the beach so that you, the waves aren't crashing over the line. Um, and then I sell the rigs on my website. You can go. You can make shark rigs on your own with a size twelve o hook. You know, you always want to have four hundred pound monofilament leader. Um, that's specifically for the, the shark's tail is like a knife. If it it'll cut through braided line, no problem. So that's why you want that four hundred pound mono leader. How long is that leader? How long do you make that? So, so when I, I I make a bunch of different ones. The casting one, which is from the shore when you want to cast, as opposed to using a drone or a kayak. Um, the casting one I do. Um, it's about five to six feet long because any longer you won't be able to cast. Okay, because it's Especially. just because it's such a limp. Right, yeah. especially if you have a less than a ten foot rod, you mm -hmm. know. Um, so I do that, and I use ten o and twelve o hooks, and that's specifically for casting. Um, when I want to use bigger baits and kayak, or use the drone, I'll get to you know um, ten uh, twenty o, sixteen o, and twenty four o. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, that type of those type of hooks, but they're they're pretty big hooks, you know. And that's you. I usually use those when I'm going down in Florida, going for bull sharks, tiger sharks, you know, and you catch an occasional hammerhead, um, which we actually caught a 14 footer three weeks ago that I'm oh, going to be nice. posting to my YouTube soon. That was crazy. But yeah, the, the, when I go down South, I use that bigger gear. So like those big avid reels, the 80 wides, they're like tuna reels. And uh, those are expensive. They go for like three grand. And then the rod is like 500 and the line I'm using like 150 pound, but for over here, you know, for guys that want to just get into it, I would just start with the, that testing stuff that I just mentioned. Um, it's on the my website shark bike gear i mean you guys can go on youtube and and look how to make your own um that's just my perfected version over the past nine years that i've been doing this um and you guys can check it out look at it go right ahead and make your own you know um it's a lot of fun 
definitely something to get into um if anybody likes fishing and even if you don't like fishing that's that sport is a rush yeah yeah because i think that's cool art about even like i've never fished or anything saltwater or i fish saltwater but nothing for anything large like that but it's like schooling about fishing is you never know what's on the other line until you bring it until you land there you it go. you never yeah. know what it is you couldn't have said that better right you don't know you no matter how many times you go out fishing you cannot say what's on the other side of the line you don't know what's going to come in mm -hmm. you know whereas hunting you see you see what you're after it's coming in you know and you know what you're going after fishing you don't know what's on the other side of the line you're putting a piece of bait out and you're hoping for one species to hit or you're hoping for one you know a striper to hit and who knows you might get a stingray on the line you might get a shark on the line so mm -hmm. it's that's that in and in and of itself is a thrill yeah 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 so like you, you say you run like 10 hour shifts do you fish during the day or during the night i do i usually uh kind of base it around what my clients want to do okay. i like to do um in the evenings um around four o'clock, five o'clock and go into the night. There's less people around, um, which, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to fish near people during the daytime because I, I used to do that. Um, but I found that the less people on the beach, the less problems you get into the, you know, it's, it's especially not so much the problem issue, but the clients really have a, an experience of it's like privacy, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, it's I feel that the clients are more comfortable and, you know, it's like it's almost like a little it's a private fishing day. It's like it, even for myself, it makes me feel like I have my own. You're less plate. on edge. You're less. You're, right. You're, right. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Um, as far as getting the bait out there, you, you mentioned both kayak and drone. Like if you're not casting, like how far are like how far are you going out and, and dropping this stuff? Like, yeah. So these sharks are actually closer than you think. I mean, on 20 yard casts, 15 yard casts, I've caught nine foot sharks right off the wow. coast. Yeah. So they're around, um, they're usually only around from July to the second week of September. Um, but yeah, they're around and I'll cast 20 yards. I'll catch, I've caught nine, like I said, nine footers on a 20 yard cast, but then sometimes I want to venture out and use the drone and then I'll drone the bait out. 30, 40, uh, 30, uh, 300, 400 yards. And then if there, if a be a piece of bait that I'm using is too big and I can't cast it or the drone can't handle it, you know, um, I'll throw it on my kayak and my crazy ass will go out <laughs> and kayak three, four, sometimes 700 yards out, drop the bait and come back to shore. And sometimes I do that at night and people think I'm crazy, but yeah, yeah I'll um, call you crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After the first couple of times, I got used to it, and it's it's it, it ain't that bad. But yeah, that we we use all different all those three different methods: methods, kayaking, droning, and casting. And honestly, between all three of them, I'd say they all work equally. They not one works better than the other. Casting works just as good as getting in the bait that far out there. And people might say, "Yeah, but you're getting it so much further out there." Like that's not where the fish are you know those fish all these fish come close to shore because all those bait fish are coming close to shore they like to hang out and feed off the phytoplankton and all those crustaceans so that's where the big fish follow they come very very close um i just like using the drone because it's it's uh it's fun it, i was gonna it, say it's fun <laughs> yeah why not it, they're starting to crack down on on the drones and they don't really want people using them to fish. I don't know why. I think it's because it, the drones have cameras on them and it's some kind of privacy thing on state parks and stuff. But hopefully they make some kind of change where like if you want to fly a drone, uh, you have to have the camera off of it, you know, right. um, or take a class and, you know, 
it's 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 definitely important to know and now i was gonna say for your i mean for did you have to get your part 107 to do that yeah yeah you yeah you you got to get all that um all that done it's it's easy it's right you could do it right online Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah you have to do that then depending on different areas there's different stipulations whether you have to register it with the town and stuff and 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 stuff like that but um obviously everybody if you're going to be using a drone make sure you're using it in areas where it's uh allowed but like i said casting kayaking even put getting on a surfboard it it all works um mm-hmm. it all started with me with a cast so it it always it always is going to work as long as the sharks are around which they will be and every year from now uh i'd say for the next five years we're going to be seeing more and more pelagic species you know probably tiger sharks bull sharks coming up because the water temperatures are rising every single year by at least one degree oh, really? so i'm yeah i'm seeing new things being caught on the beach uh every summer which is exciting too you know and it's it's not a bad thing you know just cleaner water and uh it's 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 real good it's a it's a good uh it's a positive impact on the ecology of the oceans over here yeah so like how long do you how long do you fight these fish for i, I think i just saw there on on instagram you're fighting a uh uh a stingray for like 10 hours like <laughs> <laughs> that one was crazy so this the sharks were Honestly, it's everybody thinks it's maybe an hour, an hour and a half. No, it's anywhere from eight minutes to I'd say the most 20, 25 minutes. Really? That's it. The, yeah. We really use uh we use high high end gear with that puts out a lot of drag. So we like to get these fish in as quick as possible so that uh we can get the hook out quick. You know, they're not tired and they're they're green, meaning they have a lot of energy to go back out and and on their way. Um like a lot, so I've noticed it, that you're I'm, just muscling them in the whole time. You're not trying oh, yeah. to tire them out. You're just uh, pure muscling yeah. them. In. Yeah, we want to get them in quick. Take our measurements, um, write down our data, and send it right back out as quick as possible. Um, yeah, we don't want to tire them out and let them get you know lethargic or anything like that. And there's a lot of guys that get into the sport and they get a big fish on you know like something real big and it's it's common to see guys not want to hand off the rod and say no i'm getting this whole thing in you know i'm getting this whole thing in but if you know it's a shark and you're not going to keep it you know um and it's one of the sharks that you're not allowed to keep you want to really get that thing in quick fast and effective and that's why i don't go out with more with less than three three guys and or three or a girl or whatever um i don't go less than three people because you always want to hand off the rod if you get tired and then just so and so forth, like a you know, like a like an right, assembly. Yeah, just, just going, trade it off, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's crazy. So but like that's that, that stingray. If I get back to that, yeah, the stingrays are are uh, are hard because they they bed down at the bottom like a suction cup. So it's mm. not really like you're fighting fighting them for ten hours. You're patiently you're like waiting on them for ten hours. So if you saw on that video, like the, the rod is just taut because he's just suctioned down on the bottom. My buddy Mitch, it was on his rod. Who he's so funny, the the older guy on my uh, on my page. But um, yeah, we fought that fish uh, for ten hours. In the morning, we hooked up, and there was a couple there, and they came to watch the sunrise. They went home, had dinner, came back, and we we're still on the fish, and they just <laughs> landed. And uh, that fish actually made the news. Uh, somebody had called uh, News Twelve and said these guys have been on a fish. I think it's something big, and we ended up pulling in like it was like three or four hundred pound stingray. It was fourteen feet from nose to to tail but everybody a lot of people would say oh why don't you just cut the line you know cut it it's not worth it yeah but then all that lines in the ocean now the fish has a hook in its mouth mm-hmm. i might bring it in take the hook out 
no line in the ocean and send her on our way. And we actually tagged that stingray. Uh, um, those, those stingrays could get to 30, 40 years old. Oh, wow. And yeah, that one was probably up there. And they kind of migrate the same patterns of, as sharks. So that indirectly helps those research associations. So that was a really cool, uh, cool day. Yeah, have you ever had, of all the things you've been tagging, have you ever had a report that like somebody recalled or something like that? Oh, oh yeah, all the time. Um, I've had one I caught up here and l I think it was like two and a half months later, it ended up in the Gulf of Mexico. Like, wow. can you imagine how how fast and far that these things travel. It's crazy. Wow. I mean, hey, that's all the way from Long Island to the Gulf of Mexico. Dude, that's a lot of... That's a lot of water. Yeah, that's a lot of water to cover. Oh, yeah. But they do it. I mean, the, the Great Whites travel crazy distances. Like, unbelievable. If you Google how, how fast great whites travel like in uh mileage wise mm -hmm. it's unimaginable it's it's crazy yeah i mean have you ever caught a great white i caught one once yes and you're not allowed to target them and i was not targeting them mm -hmm. um but when you're going f when you're fishing really for anything i mean especially like when you're going for striped bass you're not looking to go after the shorties you know just kind of like we we're talking about earlier is like it you never know it's on the end of it you can't right. you can't well, go up to the fish and be like no don't bite that exactly <laughs> right but there is something you can change and can know you can know how to identify and properly handle them mm -hmm. you know so when you can when you're when you're shark fishing the way i shark fish and and do it so religiously and you know you're, you're getting into these bigger species um, you're bound to, you know, get into those different species that you don't want to target. Um, so we ended up catching one and on our first thought, we saw the fin, we're like, oh, it's a blue shark. We got a blue shark. And then we saw it and we're like, oh my God, it's a great white. Everything changes then. Like now you're, you know what I mean? You're really like, okay, we got to deal with this fish the correct way. Keep it in the wash. Doesn't come out of the water. Always in the wash with the waves crashing over it. Mm -hmm. Try to get it out as quick as we can. And if you can't get it within a minute, two minutes, we get them bolt cutters out, cut the hook, and we set her, send her on her way. We actually, on that one, we went to, I went up to my neck out with this 14-foot fish mm. into dark water. And I, I made sure she got out because it was maybe two, two and a half, three foot waves. So I wanted to make sure she got out. And uh, I had, with I mean, the thing was over a thousand pounds, but the buoyancy of the water, I can still move the fish, you know? Right, yeah. So I brought her out uh, up to my neck, and she freaking went out so strong that that tail, the tip of the tail, slapped the back of my uh, my shoulder, and oh, <laughs> the the skin is very abrasive. It's like sandpaper. Okay. And I had like a it was like a rash on the on my back, and then I packed up. I'm like, oof, I'm going home. And actually, we had a we had a conservation officer watching us do that whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know where the heck he came from, but he came down. He said, "Hey, I just want to congratulate." I'm like, "Oh no, is he going to give me a problem?" I hope not. Oh yeah. So he came down. He's like, I just want to congratulate you guys. You guys did a great job. You guys knew exactly how to handle that fish. You know, what are you guys out here doing? I'm like, oh, we're shark fishing, you know, I'm trying to go catch a blue shark, you know, anything, anything that we can. And that hit. And he's like, no, I, I applaud you for the way you handled it. You know, a lot of guys would just take that out of the water and, and just have a photo shoot on the beach with it. He's like, I really like the way you did that. I'm like, I appreciate that. And we exchanged information and uh, it was a good time, honestly. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it, it's it's all about you know, caring for the animal, no matter what you're doing, whether you're hunting or fishing, it's all about caring for the animals. hundred percent. Yeah. So like, what do you do like in the downtime? Just kind of hang out on the beach and just 
<laughs> no, I mean, if I ain't fishing on the beach, I'm either I'm hunting. And if I'm not hunting, I'm running the social media accounts and, you know, editing videos and editing YouTubes. The world of editing, nobody will understand until you get into it. It takes, I mean, a 20 second video sometimes takes me an hour and a half to make oh, a yeah. 20 second TikTok. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot, a lot goes into that. And a lot of my, my, an average week, you know, I spend a lot of hours editing my films and getting music the right way and, and letting the music hit the videos the correct way. And, you know, it's a lot of editing, but also, um, I just graduated, uh, nursing school back in December. Awesome, man. Congrats. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. It was long road. It was tough. That school is tough. Uh, yeah. and I passed my board's exam, the NCLEX, and I just applied uh, last week for a part-time job. There's no way I can handle a full-time job and what I'm doing right now, mm -hmm. you know? So we'll see what happens. I mean, it, a part-time job part job as a nurse alone is, is going to be tough with handling the hunting and fishing and the social media and the sponsorships, you know, so. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, definitely... Yeah, I mean, like I said about this podcast, just what I do, keeping busy with it, and with my full time job and everything else, it's it's a lot. Even just to edit a podcast, and then on oh, top yeah. of all my video stuff that I'm doing and the editing, it's it's all, yeah, it's it's time. People don't realize, you know, even like photos. Like you go to a photo shoot, and you know, people like oh, people think that you take pictures, and right out of the camera that you're gonna get that finished polished product. But like no, there's a whole backside of the editing just for photos on on. You know, let alone if you're doing video. Right. And you got to have an eye for all that, too. You yeah. know, I feel, I feel like to have an eye and ear for the music that's going to hit and, you know, the the music that's going to coincide with the video. You got to have an eye and ear for that. And sometimes I think that's just in you, you know, whether you right. have like a kind of a, a, a musical component when you're adding um audio to any of these videos because especially on tiktok and instagram reels and youtube shorts all the things that are like really hitting there's some type of music in the background and you got to get that right music to hit the video so you know a turkey hunting turkey hunting footage will you know coincide with a certain type of audio where shark fishing you know is going to be a different type of audio like shark fishing you want that more aggressive and like heavy metal kind of music because it kind of goes with that kind of craziness mm -hmm. and then the turkey hunting you know you might want something a little more subtle so it's all that it's time consuming you know and but i love it you know i can't say i don't i don't like it because i love it i am absolutely i love watching numbers on views go up i love editing the videos and you know what years down the line i have something to go to when i'm when i'm older and i can't shark fish anymore or you know god forbid knock on wood something happens i have all these videos to look back and just remember the good old times you know mm -hmm. it's like a it's like a a photo album that yeah. you know no nobody makes no photo albums anymore nobody's printing out photos right so i mean so it's like it's a great way to kind of document your life and some people don't want to do that and uh, others do i do it because one i i i, I kind of run a business out of it and two i enjoy watching you know the successful hunts and the successful fishing days that i've had yeah I mean that that's the cool thing about the technology and the how content is right now, how content's king and videos, everything. It's it's that staple to provide that memory that lasts forever. You know that you can look back and actually see, you know, generations down the road. You know who the, who your grandfather was or something like that. You right. know, and what they yeah. did and what they looked like and and what and what their voice sounded like. You know, right. 
you know, we're, we're like for us, you know, like, you know, all, all my grandparents are passed away, but like, yeah, I, rem- I kind of remember what their voices sounded like and I kind of remember what they remember what they look like, but like to have like a video and things like that, you know, it, it, it'd be, it'd be neat to have. hundred percent. Yeah. No, that's, that's, I never, I didn't even think of it that way either, but yeah, there's so many different reasons why, you know, guys want to film and, and get into all this kind of stuff. And it's, I love it. I really do. And I can't, I can't say I would do anything different, honestly. Mm-hmm. Guiding in general, whether it's fishing, whether it's hunting, you know, for you, what has been like the most reporting part or not reporting, but rewarding part as being a guide? I would say definitely, like we said in the beginning of the podcast, um, the way that you can, you know, start, um, the way that you can, as a guide, the way that you can start somebody, somebody's, you know, hobby and something that they might love to do after going out with them. So by that, I mean, it's, it's like you're introducing your clients i mean this goes with new new, i'd say this this is more geared towards uh newer clients like people who haven't you're taking somebody out for the first time um but the most rewarding thing is i think is getting these new um hunters or new fishermen into the sport and having them fall in love with it you know getting them on a successful on a successful day and just sitting back and realizing wow i scouted these birds for this this long and i i made it happen with this client or you know i i figured out the water temperatures i figured out the what type of uh what what the weather needs to be for me to get these clients out here and have a successful day and look at them they're they're going home ecstatic happy you know thankful and it's just it's very rewarding to see them so happy doing something that's great you know just living the outdoor life that should have should be being done every single day but um a lot of people are just uh you know blind blindsided by what the outdoors has to offer and i think it's rewarding getting people more and more people into these different types of sports or people that are even already involved in it getting them more involved or teaching them or you know trading different uh ways of doing things you know learning tidbits about some of my clients they say different things that might you know help better my expertise in in the field and i do the same for them so all around it i think just being a guide in general is a very very rewarding position to be in yeah i I couldn't agree more i mean it's just passing on knowledge bringing experiences It, it there's just so many plus sides to it the fact that especially in the hunting side is like you can just all right when you Typical people, you shoot, you fill your tag. Well, guess what? I can go tomorrow, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, and uh, you just keep doing it, and, and every day is an adventure. Every day is an experience that you get to share with somebody else. I mean, it could be their their first encounter with, with a fish or an animal or their hundredth, and it's still just as fun. Right. You know, because when people really want to get into it, they, they do it because they enjoy it. Right. And, and I like how, yeah, I like how you said everything's new. Like it, it's always a new adventure. It's not, you know, you're every single day doing the same thing, you know, like how a lot of uh, you know, unfortunately a lot of a lot of people are sucked into that life of, you know, repeating the same thing every single day, you know, and it's just it's it's very fortunate to uh to be a guide and I I I'm very thankful for it and honestly I I hope that the people who do have the passion of hunting and fishing, you know, should definitely try 
uh, doing that if it's a passion they love to do and um, you know there's a potential to to make money on it um, I think it's a great way for people to really really enjoy life the way that you're supposed to enjoy it oh yeah and and for you I mean you've got the great thing where you're hunting in the fall and spring and then you got the fish in the summer where you've kind of figured out a way to make it last year round right yeah that that's that was a big thing I mean a lot of a lot of people, are, I mean, a lot of friends and family, they tell me, oh, why don't you go move down to Florida? You know, it's a, it's a, uh, it's better. There's, a, there's more fishing down there. Like I'm so, I love hunting so much that mm -hmm. if I was not introduced to hunting, yeah, I would probably be living in Florida, but I cannot, and I will not get away from hunting. <laughs> it's part of my life and it'll always be part of my life just as much as fishing. So where can I have that, that medium? Well, if I'm in, you know, if I'm in Florida, yeah, I could hunt turkey. I could, I could hunt down there. But the way I grew up hunting is, you know, sitting in the stand all bundled up and it, you know, you get the snow and it just, it sets the mood, you know, when you're in the cold, uh, that's how I grew up. I don't want to be hunting honestly down in Florida, you know, for turkey or if I'm, if I'm hunting in Georgia or somewhere, somewhere down South where it's real hot and I have to deal with, you know, bugs biting me, which I, I, I'll deal with bugs, but the way I grew up, it's in the cold. I like sitting out in the colder temperature temperatures. It it kind of sets this sets the mood for me. Um, again, it, it's not just about you know shooting game. It's about enjoying the outdoors. And up here, you know, I'll have the spring is turkey season. Yeah. After the spring, after the spring, I usually uh I'll either take a trip down to Florida, a week trip, or I usually do a a trip to Greece to see my grandparents who live over there. And then by the time I'm back, now it's shark season. And then September, when shark season ends, now goose season's opening up. And then I have uh, in October, that's September. Then October, I have bow, bow season. And then November is rifle. Then December is all ducks and geese. And then January, I'm usually going to Kansas, like North Dakota, Kansas, and I'll go on another duck hunting trip. And then uh, February comes, I take my yearly Florida trip, and then it's back to scouting birds. Yeah. <laughs> it's a so cycle, it's man. And it's, yeah. and it's an adventure. Right. And, and it's like, just when I get sick of like, like shark fishing, like toward the end of the season, I'm like, Oh, I'm like, I might've had enough already after catching 300. <laughs> that the second that I get that feeling, my cameras are going off, you know, where I, I, I'll put cameras out of all my properties and I'll see deer popping up on different cameras. So I'm like, Oh, and, and then you get that, you know, that, that deer hunting urge and you're like, Oh, it's, it's, a, it, here we go. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. And They're just, growing. Right. And then just when I start getting, tired of like sitting in the stand and shoot and shooting um or taking clients out i'm like okay i'm getting a little used to this boom now duck hunting's coming so it's like i have that re happy medium where everything hits at just the right time and i'm very fortunate for that yeah yeah i mean it's definitely uh you got a system and, and you're you're doing it and you're doing it well thank you i appreciate that but yeah so if you had kind of like one thing to tell somebody who is somebody who's thinking about becoming a guide, what piece of advice would you give them? Um, I would definitely, if somebody is be looking to become a guide, I would say, um, I'd say try to, try to master. You'll never be able to master deer hunting. You'll never be able to master, um, turkey hunting you won't it's very hard to master something but you can get as close as you can to perfect you know um with every type of hunting so let's say if you wanted to just become a turkey hunting guide 
I would try to get as close as, as you can where you feel comfortable of where you're as close to 100% on being a turkey hunter yourself and doing it for yourself first. Then you'll realize eventually and say, you know, you 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 will realize that you want to go you you would go out hunting by yourself and you'd say, eh, you know what, I kind of want to take somebody hunting with me or maybe a friend hits hits you up to go hunting and then you go out with them and they shoot the bird and then you realize when they shoot the bird or a deer or catch a fish whatever it is and you get that feel that same feeling almost identical to that same feeling when you shot your first bird or you caught your first fish but it wasn't you who caught it it was your client or your friend who you brought out that's when i kind of knew i'm like okay this guiding thing is for me because i get that feeling every time um one of my clients a family member a friend you know shoots or catches or anything of that nature yeah i think that's a huge point there with as soon as you get that same excitement watching somebody else pull the trigger or somebody else on the reel, you're ready. Right. That's, that's kind of, yeah, that's exactly, you basically nailed it on the head. Yeah. But, uh, so as we wrap things up here, so where can people find you, all the, your internet, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, what, what are all those things? Fire so them if out. You, yep. Uh, YouTube is li Sharkman. Instagram is li Sharkman official. And then the TikTok is li Sharkman. And then the hunting channel is on YouTube. It's li Huntsman. Um, and Instagram is li Huntsman. The TikTok thing, I don't really post on the, on that uh, side because they don't really allow too much hunting. Yeah. It's social media. <laughs> well, well, Hey man, thanks for coming on. Uh, I think it was well worth the wait for this conversation. And, uh, I, you know, I definitely want to try and have you on again sometime. Oh yeah. hundred percent, Jim. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on and definitely, uh, got to do another one sometime.